Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. My podcast guest today is Sam Adams, the CEO and founder of Vert Asset Management, and Sam's on a mission to help advisors invest sustainably for their clients. Today, we're going to talk about the book he has co-authored with Larry Swedrow for that purpose. It's entitled, Your Essential Guide to Sustainable Investing, and each of the co-authors have brought their unique perspective to the issues and the topics that they address in this writing partnership. Hello, Sam, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's great to be back on the show. It is. It's wonderful. I think, but how long ago was that that we've recorded a program out in, in Colorado, it was- right? It was in the pre-COVID times, and that's about as <laughs> as close as I can nail down the date. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I hear you. So let's begin our conversation today, Sam, with a level set question for our advisor and investor audience. What qualifies you and Larry Swedrow to write a, a guide to sustainable investing for financial advisors? Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, well, maybe Larry doesn't need as much of an introduction as I do. He's written, I think this is his 20th book now, and all of his books are some form of looking at academic research on investing topics and then making, you know, usually those are like 17, 28 page papers with dense statistical tables. And he he's, he reviews them and summarizes them in a clear two or three paragraph way, and then with the investor takeaways. What are the conclusions of the paper? And should I change the way I invest based on those conclusions or not? And he has some um, uh, standing uh, newsletter articles in places like Advisor Perspectives where he continues to do that. And so how Larry and I got connected with this was that he was, as he continues to review those academic papers, he was starting to review some ESG papers as it's been becoming more popular over the last couple of years. And I would write to him and say, hey, this one's a little bit unclear because ESG and SRI are kind of meshed together here, or you should probably not use the word impact there. Uh, so I was collaborating with him in, in, in how he presented that. And uh, he said, you know, someone should write a book on this. And uh, I said, well, you're the expert. <laughs> You've written so many books, Larry. And he says, well, I don't know much about sustainability, but you do. Why don't we write it together? Uh, and what he means there is that I was at Dimensional Fund Advisors for 20 years. So I knew Larry well because he, he was the chief research officer at Buckingham, uh, which is a big dimensional user. And I left Dimensional over 10 years ago to start doing sustainable investing and helping advisors do that full time. Uh, so since then, we've launched an ESG uh, investment management firm, um, Vert Asset Management. We have an ESG real estate fund, and we have an education and consulting business that we help financial advisors integrate ESG, SRI, and impact into their businesses. Okay. Well, that's a great opening um, remarks there, Sam. And now we're going to talk about one of the big bogeyman in sustainable and responsible investing these days, and that is greenwashing. Uh, there's an awful lot of background noise regarding greenwashing and sustainable investing, and it's really sort of risen to a fever pitch this year. Yeah. What is greenwashing, and why is it so prevalent in this part of the industry? 
Yeah, I I love the greenwashing question. Most ESG practitioners don't like it because it is overwhelming in its criticism right now. It seems like it's everywhere. Uh, and what it is, is basically a company telling us that its products are more sustainable or greener than they actually are. And in the and in the investment management industry, it's fund managers telling us that their mutual funds and ETFs are greener or more friendly to people and planet than they actually are. Uh, and the reason it's so prevalent is because, you know, color me surprised, this is what companies in the investment management industry has been doing since day one, right? <laughs> Before it was pictures of happy couples with uh, playing golf, you know, on the cover of the annual report. Now it has a windmill in the background. I mean, companies have always tried to put their best foot forward, and you don't hear CEOs sharing warts and all on the earnings calls, right? There. They're making things sound rosier than they are. And the financial services industry, I mean, spare me, right? It's always been we're going to outperform with lower risk and we're going to do it with our proprietary methodology. And now it's we're doing it with green, right? I mean, it's, it's nothing new. But why I really like it is because up until greenwashing came along, the primary approach to sustainable investing from the conventional guys was just dismissive. It was just like, oh, it underperforms. It's, there's no use even talking about it. But once they shifted to, okay, I can't use that argument anymore because it doesn't underperform, they had to come up with something else. And now they're saying like, well, there's problems with implementing it. Well, of course there are, right? Uh, but this, you know, that we're making progress when they're not taking shots at the whole idea. And they're just saying, you have to be careful about how you do it. Okay, that's good. And that's actually as good a, about as good a definition of, of greenwashing as I've heard. So I think I might steal it from you and your Sounds book. Good. <laughs> so, Sam, investors in the UK and the US and the EU markets are adopting sustainable investing for different reasons. And that's one of the things that you go into in the book. What are these differences and how do they affect the allocation of portfolio assets? Yeah, the, you know, the common refrain is that Europe is, is further ahead of uh, the U.S. on sustainable investing. Um, there are a couple of years or, you know, whatever. Um, and I got to see this uh, firsthand. Um, I spent um, about 13 years in Europe from 2003 to 2016. And I was working in with financial advisors uh, in the UK and Europe, and also a little bit in Australia then. Um, and I guess the main difference is, well, the amount of capital in Europe, one half of all professionally managed assets uh, in Europe are managed towards some kind of sustainability criteria, uh, but it's only one third in the US. So that's a big difference. But remember that the US is catching up quickly. So it was only a couple of years ago, we were at 20% in the US of all money managed uh, being sustainable criteria driven. And, and Europe's kind of you know flattening out at 50, not flattening, but the growth is slowing. Um, so we just have less money invested in sustainability. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. For one, Europe always thought of sustainability as a risk. And they thought of it more in the ESG frame of mind where these are risks and opportunities that we should be evaluating. Companies are, as we have constraints around national resources, we want to limit pollution. Everyone was on board with that. 
And in the U.S., somehow um, sustainability became a political football. And there was one side that said it was woke capitalism. The other side was saying, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're getting away from that now. But we kind of took an unfortunate detour on, in the U.S. A lot of things that come up around the, the differences, people talk about regulation. Uh, and the EU does require more disclosures and the UK require more disclosures of uh, ESG data from companies. So that's been more helpful to them. For example, uh, in the UK, uh, they passed a law that all public companies listed on the London Stock Exchange need to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, that was 2012 and the law was implemented in 2013. Today, the SEC in the U.S. is considering similar legislation like that, right? So we're we're a bit further behind on the regulation side. Okay. Now, companies in developed and developing markets are facing, as you're suggesting, increased regulatory and disclosure scrutiny related to sustainability issues in general. So what are the factors involved in that whole process, whether, and they may be different in developing markets than they are in developed. Sam, can you uh, expound on that a bit? Yeah. Um, I mean, we always tend to start with the regulators, is that that's the driver there because they're the rule maker, but that really, the regulator is not really the driver from my perspective. Um, I think of it, I try to sit in the shoes of a, of, of a CEO. Let's say, Paul, you're the CEO of a, of a widget maker, uh, Widget & Co., uh, and you're thinking about launching a new product into the marketplace. Who do you consider? What stakeholders do you look at in terms of that new product you're offering, and who's going to be important in that, right? Well, you should probably start with the first and foremost the customers, right? Are they going to buy it, right? You have to look at the suppliers. Do they do they have the necessary ingredients for you to make that? Uh, where are you going to sell it? Uh, are your employees going to be able to make it? Are they going to be happy making it? Um, do your investors want you to do this? Does it sound like a good idea? Does your board want you to do that? I mean, it's only after you consider all those types of things that you start saying, is the regulator going to be happy or not uh, with this? How's it going to look from their perspective? So the pressure comes from the regulator in terms of these disclosures, but it's the investors that want it. It's the customers that want it. It's the employees that want sustainability. Uh, all these stakeholders want sustainability features, and it only shows up in the regulations uh, later. Now, this is all good news for capitalism and investors. The more information we have, the more transparent companies are, the better grasps that we have on their risks uh, and opportunities. And some of these ESG criteria and data were called externalities because they weren't priced into markets. We didn't have numbers on them and we didn't have comparable numbers. And we're kind of in that space right now, right? Like I can compare an earnings figure or a PE ratio from one company to another, um, but we're not at the point where we can really compare a greenhouse gas figure or an employee satisfaction figure reliably to another company and know I'm making like for like comparisons. Uh, and that's where we want to get to. Um, and that pressure from all the stakeholders is helping. Sam, you mentioned your ex uh, vast experience uh, in the European markets and other uh, markets outside the U.S. when you were working for the dimen dimensional funds. How 
have advisors in those non-U.S. marketplaces been about adopting and integrating ESG strategies into their clients' portfolios versus what you see here in the U.S. now that you're running an asset management firm here in the U.S.? What are the differences? Well, I think that in general, and I hate making generalizations, but in general, the Europeans and the the British are more comfortable just taking all of their clients' money and shifting it towards integrating sustainability. Um, Now, my my poster child for that and my favorite advisor who's done that is a guy in Northern California who in 2008 just started using ESG funds and has always integrated it with his clients and said, hey, we invest internationally. We tilt towards uh, you know factors in the market like small cap and value, profitability, and sustainability, and that's how we manage money. And it's just he's never had any objections. That's just how it works, um, and everyone's happy with that. He has a very successful and clean business because everyone's invested in, in a similar way. But in Europe, I helped a <clears throat> turnkey asset management provider last year switch all of their models from conventional to ESG. And there wasn't a real problem with the advisor or the end investors there. They embraced it, uh, but they did need some understanding of how it was different from the conventional investment strategies they had before. Those are all good news, but it is more information, so it needs it needs uh, discussion. And based on your experience in in these multiple markets, um, it seems that today, as the regulatory environment and in, in, in all major developed markets uh, is is expanding uh, at the moment that you're going to have if not completely similar at least somewhat similar regulatory st- infrastructure in the UK in the US eventually and in other developed markets probably in developing markets before too long after that how are investors in the US now that you're running a US uh, uh, based asset management firm looking at investments in other parts of the world when it comes to sustainability? Well, unfortunately, sometimes it's easier because you go to a European company. Now, most big companies are U.S. companies have been forced to adopt EU uh, reporting frameworks for ESG because they have operations over there or, you know, for those things. But then we get down into the mid caps and lower. Sometimes you're like, wow, the information I can get uh, from these European companies, from these Asian companies is actually better than the ones I can get from the U.S. companies because they're required by law to disclose that. Now, I want to be careful about making a distinction between data which we want, right, and ratings. There is an EU ratings system taxonomy that describes what types of mutual funds are this type of green and another type of green. And I'm not sure that that's been very positive or helpful for investors. Um, And it's very complicated for uh, asset managers like ourselves to decide whether our fund is in one category or another. Um, I would prefer that the market relies on uh, tools that we get from researchers, you know, from Sustainalytics and Morningstar and MSCI to parse those things out. You know, we never really needed a regulator to say, this is a value stock, this is a value com- uh, uh, strategy, and this is a growth 
stalker strategy. You know, investors have been arguing about that since the Benjamin Graham days in the 20s, right? And we just got better tools to identify which uh, stocks and which funds were one versus the other. And that's the approach I'd like around ratings and about descri- describing different companies and strategies. But for disclosure of data, um, that's critical. For give you an example from the flip side, from the company side, we often hear concerns from the companies that we invest in, real estate companies, um, that they have been forced to fill out dozens of surveys from their institutional investors uh, and the funds that invest in them on ESG. So they have to put the same data in two dozen, three dozen different questionnaires and reports and send them off to different investors. Well, it'd be a lot more efficient for everyone involved if that was publicly disclosed data in one place and everyone could go get it, right? Then the companies could spend more on results than reporting and investors could have better access to it. Sam, you've been working with financial advisors for 20 years, right? Can you share a couple of success stories that you've experienced in your work with advisors related to um, ESG and sustainable investing? And they can either be from the book or not. Uh, it's your choice. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> most success I see is where the financial advisor keeps their role as the investment advisor as opposed to a facilitator. And this was back in the day when before sustainable investing was the case. You know, clients really are going to a financial advisor for them to provide them with guidance uh, and direction with their investments rather than be a facilitator. And with sustainable investing, sometimes advisors get confused and think, oh, now I'm supposed to, you know, listen to what my client thinks about this or that or the other. And sustainability gets kind of confusing in their mind. But that's because sustainability is hard, right? Like, when should I replace that refrigerator now? Or should I take a couple more years out? Or should I get an EV today? Or should I let this old car run? And those are hard questions. But sustainable investing, the best advisors realize that they have all the expertise that they need for that without being an expertise on sustainability, right? Doing a risk capacity, risk tolerance, knowing your client's goals and objectives, and then incorporating their desires into that is something that they've done their whole career, right? And so adding this in only makes that client experience richer and uh, doesn't, you know, upset the way that they've done their business. And the, the, the key here is stepping your way in. Like I have a, a financial advisor uh, client of mine who said, I can't do uh, social responsible or portfolios tuned to the client's individual values just yet, but I can do ESG. I can replace my conventional models with, with ESG funds. Everyone gets the same thing because I use model portfolios. And maybe next year or the year after, I'll start using separately managed accounts or social responsible funds for clients who have particular issues around alcohol or tobacco. Um, And then I've said, well, look out in a couple of years, you might want to add impact investing, you know, down the road to get even closer into your clients. things. And that type of strategy, I think, is 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 a good approach that advisors could take saying, let me not think about my business today. Let me think about my business in 2030, what it's going to look like, and how am I going to get there? And then it becomes easier to decide when you're going to transition to ESG, when you're going to start adding these other services. Um, You know, I think that's especially good advice for 
senior advisors, whether they're in a group practice or they just have a, an associate, a younger associate that's joined their practice in recent years. Um, that was actually my experience as an advisor when I was ready to transition out of the advisory role into the consulting role. Uh, it made much more sense for me to be working with someone who was very interested in the way I had been practicing and the way my clients had been invested for almost 20 years. So I think that's really good advice, and I'm sure there's other stories that we could spend a lot more time on. And we're also running out of time for this brief interview today, Sam. So where can Sustainable Finance Podcast listeners purchase your essential guide to sustainable investing? And how can they contact you directly for additional information on the topics that we've discussed in today's program? One of the success stories we hope to be talking about next time we're on the podcast, Paul, is that advisors use our book to good effect with their clients. One of the things we've done is made it possible for advisors to buy the copies in bulk. You know, they're only $19 retail, but they get down to like $11 or $12 if you buy 50 or 100 copies. You can do that at verteducation.com slash book. Um, and the idea there is get the uh, bulk, some copies of the books. You can even write your own forward if you'd like and send them out to clients and say, hey, this is how we uh, think about sustainable investing. Let them know that you have that offering and have them uh, uh, look, you, look to you as, as an expert in that field. Um, for the education bit, um, we have the, the consulting and the, the boot camps. Uh, that you can come to also at verteducation.com. And of course, you can always buy the book directly at Amazon. Uh, just Google your essential guide to sustainable investing. Great. Well, uh, yeah, I used to I used to put the most recent book that I had read about sustainable investing out on the coffee table in my office. And I also, also had the local papers with sustainability-focused stories open to the pages so that when my clients were waiting for their uh, meeting with me, they might, might be interested in reading one of those stories. But that, that's great advice. I really like that idea, Sam. So The other the great advice, the new version of that, Paul, yeah. uh, since nobody reads newspapers and has you know <laughs> books on the tables anymore, is to <laughs> advisors should subscribe to Bloomberg Green or to Canary Media um, to get sustainability stories in their desktop, uh, you know, in their email feeds, either weekly or daily. There's a ton of stories in there about positive things companies are doing to solve our sustainability problems. And they're amazing stories. And if advisors, I learned this from advisor, share only the positive stuff with clients, get them excited about their investments and how it's uh, driving change, that's a great way to get going. It's also a great way for a consultant like myself to to feed the LinkedIn uh, uh, process to get more people attracted in what I'm doing. So I absolutely, I, I completely agree that that can be very beneficial to the advisors. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Sam Adams, the CEO at Vert Asset Management and co-author with Larry Swedro of Your Essential Guide to Sustainable Investing. And for our audience, Please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. 